Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be with my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Raising numbers, USA, moving America from buy to strong buy. I mean, that's what I kept thinking as I watched last night's State of the Union. The whole first half of that speech sounded like a brokerage firm's buy opinion, not on a stock, but on a country. You want to know why we roared higher today? Dow gaining 483 points, S&P surging 1.13%, NASDAQ climbing only 0.43%. I think that last night's speech was a big part of it. Over and over again, Trump kept coming back to the economy and the state of his union. State of union. I mean, listen to these quotes. I mean, they're just mind-blowing to me that this was a president. Since my election, U.S. stock markets have soared 70%, adding more than $12 trillion to our nation's wealth, transcending anything anyone believed was possible. He continues... Consumer confidence has just reached amazing highs. All those millions of people with 401ks and pensions are doing far better than they've ever done before, with increases of 60, 70, 80, 90, and 100%, and even more. And you know what? He's not wrong. If you own stocks, this presidency has been great for your portfolio. That said, I think the Democratic response was equally cogent. As Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer put it, quote, doesn't matter what the president says about the stock market. What matters is that millions of people struggle to get by or don't have enough money at the end of the month after paying for transportation, student loans, or prescription drugs. Sadly, despite the phenomenal labor market, lowest unemployment in 50 years, Whitmer's right because wages have been fairly stagnant. But this has been a problem for decades now, and neither party's been able to fix it. But this show isn't mad politics. It's mad money. I'm not here to tell you how you should run America or I should run America or anyone should. I just want to help you run your portfolio. And whether you love him or hate him, there's no denying that President Trump cares about the stock market like we do. Last night, it really sounded like he was pounding the table, telling you to buy the stock of the United States of America because it it pays nice dividends. And those dividends could help get him reelected. If the economy stays this strong, I think that's actually very likely. Every year I listen to the State of Union with an ear for any initiative that might move some stocks, get some buying tips from it. Yes, sometimes about oil, drugs, military. This one had all of those, and they were posed in such a way that really did make you want to buy stock in America, which corresponds to the S&P 500. Let's go a step further. 
Right now, the two parties are pushing in opposite directions. The president believes in free enterprise as a solution for everything. Unfettered. Many of the Democrats think that rapacious capitalism is the problem, not the solution. All of them want more regulation, with senators and more pushing for something a lot closer to social democracy. Sure, the Iowa caucus fiasco hurt the Democrats, but the biggest takeaway was that Mayor Pete seems to have won. Seems to. I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? And Pete's the status quo candidate. He doesn't want to destroy the insurance stocks by rolling out Medicare for all. He doesn't want to break up the banks. Until Iowa, it looked like the Republicans were overweighting the wealthy who tend to own stocks. And the Democrats, what were the Democrats doing? They were putting a strong sell on the wealthy. Sell, 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 don't buy, don't buy. But if Mayor Pete's a serious contender, the 2020 election might not be about class war. And you know what? That is bullish. Another reason why we went higher. In a Buttigieg versus Trump race, we'll have two candidates who believe in free market capitalism. Another reason why the market went higher. Now, get this. With Sanders or Warren, it would be a very different contest. The stock market hates them. Although, to be fair, these days, many people don't own stocks or even have pensions. Of course, Buttigieg isn't the only thing that caused the market to spike. Many of the oils rallied because of the chatter about OPEC cutting production. When the oils are climbing, that takes up the industrials because higher oil, as you know, and I've tried to teach this endlessly to you, means to the traders that the economy is getting stronger, hence the big game in the Dow, which is filled with industrials. I reiterate, while I accept fossil fuels as a bridge for more sustainable energy sources, I think their stocks remain simply poor investments, and you're getting another chance to go. Now, there was nothing new and terrible about the coronavirus, and we even got a note from Cowan saying there may be a slowdown in the spread of the disease. I found that, uh, let's say, to be a spectrum of fantasy than a fact, but it was out there. Initially, the stock futures were down. They were looking down very big after 10 people on a Carnival cruise tested positive for the coronavirus, and the ship had to be quarantined. But at 3.30 a.m., we got news, unsubstantiated, of course, of a possible breakthrough from a U.K. drug company. That occurred right when we learned about still more economic stimulus from the Chinese government, this time lower taxes. Do you know they come in every night and do this now? If they're not buying stuff, they're doing this stuff. They want to keep the balls in the air. I hope they can keep them there for our sake. I wish they actually were spending more money on health care. That said, politics are merging with stock market in a way that we haven't seen in my lifetime. The economy always gets politicized, but normally the two parties are more in sync when it comes to their vision. Now, unlike the president, I look at stocks more as, as creatures of what management does. Unlike the president, I like to see what sector they're in, what their growth rate looks like, how generous their dividends might be, what the Federal Reserve is doing, how the bond market's behaving. Right now, the Fed is on our side. That's huge. Sure, the president matters, but the elixir for higher stock prices is lower interest rates, low inflation, and strong job creation. And only the last one has anything to do with the White House. But it's the intertwining of his fortunes with the stock market that allows investors to overlook all sorts of concerns that would normally have been paramount here. You don't see anything from this president that would stand in the way of the rich getting richer. You don't see anything that would upset the existing health care system, even as Trump's calling for drug price transparency. You don't see anything that calls for higher taxes, Robin Hood style, to fund more generous social programs. However, you might feel about these policies. Wall Street loves laissez-faire capitalism, always has. And if the Democrats nominate Buttigieg, we're going to say pretty laissez-faire, regardless of who wins in November. Bullish. At the end of the day, though, the market's roaring, in part because President Trump allows industries to feel safe. Industries like banking, like healthcare, like oil, like gas, like pharmaceuticals. And when they feel safe, they have an easier time enriching the shareholders. For better or worse, Trump has doubled down on government by, for, and of the stock market. I don't know if that's the right political philosophy. Not by department. I didn't take those classes. But it's a great philosophy for your portfolio. The bottom line, it's a fabulous time for shareholders. We know it. 
We know it because Trump touts strong economy. We know it because Trump touts economic gains. Uh, and despite the raging coronavirus or the struggles of brick-and-mortar retailers or the rising cost of transportation, drugs, student debt, people who are struggling with the rising cost of living typically can't afford to own stocks. But if the shareholder class can sure afford to keep buying shares in America via the S&P 500, you're going to see a lot more days like today. Let's speak to Aiden in New Hampshire. Aiden. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for taking the call. All right. What's up? Uh, I got a question about PayPal. So a couple days ago, bounced off of record highs. Earnings came out last week. Revenue increased year over year by about 17% and recently acquired Honey, which is the biggest acquisition so far in company history. My question is, at these levels, am I taking profits or am I holding No, off? don't take profits because it's going to grow in that market cap. It's obviously a little ahead of itself. But this is Dan Schulman, every time CEO. Every time it's gotten ahead of itself, it pulls back, but pulls back less than it went ahead. We can try to trade it. That's too hard a game. My faith is in Schulman. I think PayPal ultimately goes higher. Rich in California, Rich. Yeah, Jim, thank you so much for taking my call. I've got uh, Alibaba, and I was just wondering uh, what your, how your view is on the short term and the long term. It's with the, the only with Chinese the, stock. The virus. Only Chinese stock that I like before this uh, incident, this coronavirus, and it's the only one I like now. And I want to be very careful. I do not like any other Chinese stock. So you can call about the NEO and call about the JD and you can call about even the Baidu. And I'm going to keep coming back and saying, no, Alibaba or bust. Chuck in Arizona, Chuck. Hey, greetings, Super Bowl champ Kramer. There you go. What's happening, man? Yeah, it's Chuck from Phoenix. Um, I'm a short-time listener, but a three-time caller. Uh, a few months back, you had a bullish call on Danaher. It's been rising ever since. I was late to the party, but I got in at $165. You said you sold your position too soon. They had a positive earnings beat, and it retreated $7 from the $169 high that it achieved. And now that it's basing at 163 164 do you see it powering back to the 170 level? I think you can go up. I think it's going to close that deal with, uh, with GE. Now, the stock has had a very, very big run. Uh, I regret, of course, my Chapel Trust regrets to be sold. I regret some stocks that we own. We'll get some stocks to be sold. But it's a woulda, coulda, shoulda. And a woulda, shoulda, shoulda should be saved for losses. We had a big gain. You'll have an even bigger one. I salute the fact that you've ridden it through. And if the stock goes down much more, I would pull the trigger and buy something. This ain't mad politics. It's mad money. And boy, it's a bountiful time for shareholders. And they're just not motivated to sell. Mad money tonight. As coronavirus fears continue, can Clorox help protect your portfolio and, of course, your health? I'm talking with the CEO fresh off our earnings. And boy, it's been red hot stock. Then Tesla lost some of its electricity. But can the company turn the stock around? I'm going to give you my take. And Boot Barn tripped after reporting earnings yesterday. But could the company get back on the right foot? I'm going to talk to the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call. At 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? 
generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. In a market that plummeted last Friday before roaring back this week, what do I feel comfortable recommending? I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop with the coronavirus. Have to be, people. So I want to stock up on some Clorox because they make everything that flies off the shelves in the event of a true pandemic. Of course, I've loved Clorox for a while now. We started buying it for the Travel Trust in November after hearing from CEO Ben Dorr, and we're now up more than 10% on the position. What happened? Yesterday morning, Clorox reported a strong quarter, 15-cent earnings beat off a $1.31 basis, slightly higher than expected sales. Investors love the numbers, and the stock surged 5% yesterday, tacking on another 1% today. So can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Ben O'Dor. He's the bankable chairman and CEO of Clorox to get a better read on the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Dora, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Good to be with you again. Okay, so Ben, let's talk about the uh, only medicine, only prospect, only liquid, anything. The only thing that kills this thing, which is Clorox. Tell us how that can help us. Well, first of all, you know, it's, it's good to be here and talk about coronavirus I will say up front that the consumer has a lot of choices. Um, We do have products that can make a difference, according to the EPA, and help combat the virus, including disinfecting bleach, disinfecting wipes, and uh, disinfecting sprays. We're not seeing an impact on sales just yet, but what we are focused on is educating consumers on the proper use, on ways to prevent, and getting ready to have products in place by building inventory should consumers, customers, and communities need it. I know you monitor social media. Are you seeing areas where there could be a shortage? In terms of inventory, no. I don't think uh, we would expect that. Obviously, this is a rapidly evolving situation, and we don't know where it's going. What I can tell you is that we're leaning into inventory to be ready just in case. Uh, we, have no, we are known to be uh, more agile now in terms of our ability to build inventory, and we're going to be ready to do that. But like I said, it's hard right now to speculate where this will go because it's so rapidly evolving. But at this point, uh, we're not seeing any inventory risk at all. Uh, but the gross margins on those products are very good if you do get that, right? These are profitable products uh, for us, for sure. Some of them are margin accretive uh, to our company. So it, it you know, would certainly uh, add meaningful value to our investors, the top line and the bottom line, said that, though, what we will never do is try to benefit from fears or concerns that consumers have. We're here to serve the communities and we're taking uh, the lead from our customers, communities, 
from nonprofit organizations, which we have started to reach out with, and importantly, from health organizations like the EPA and the World Health Organization. Okay, excellent. Let's talk about this quarter. I think what people liked about it is you've been able to wrench some tremendous gross margins out of a top line that I know you would like to be better, but you're also doing this reorganization under Ignite that it will be. Are you able to get even more leverage this, uh, going forward in terms of stronger sales in some of these divisions? Uh, yes, that's our plan. So we plan to be back to a solid sales growth that is in line with our ongoing algorithm. The midpoint of our outlook foresees about 3% in sales growth in the back half, and we're seeing solid momentum. Q2 was an important proof point in progress. We saw an important sequential improvement to sales, but we also saw gross margin improvement. We saw earnings improvement. And we saw a strong 11% cash flow growth for the year to date. So we feel like we're positioned well to excel in the back half. And importantly, we're investing behind that. We have announced that we will increase our investment, in particular because we like the momentum behind our brands, specifically the innovation. We have a very robust innovation program in the back half, and we're investing in it. I'm going to talk the innovation is driven by ESG. You have been, I've surveyed a lot of different executives. I know that if I go to Clorox, I get get a bonus for what I do to save the environment, to make my footprints, make our company footprint lower. What are some of the innovations that have come from that? We do think that uh, ESG and the work on sustainability is good for the planet and good for business. And we have uh, launched two uh, major innovations the last few weeks that have a very significant impact uh, to the planets, but also to our top and bot- bottom line as we expect them. The first is a compacted version of Clorox liquid bleach. Uh, that's shown to have very strong margin improvement for us uh, in the past, and we're doing it again. And we're significantly reducing the amount of plastic we use, water we use, mm-hmm. logistics. Uh, the impact on logistics is significantly reduced. So this is a great initiative all around. The second one is our first ever compostable cleaning wipes. Mm. Uh, you can compost them at home, and that's off to a really nice start, in particular because it encourages people to use wipes without the guilt of using wipes because being able to compost them is a very meaningful uh, addition to a benefit that a lot of consumers will enjoy. It, can you do something along those lines to innovate in the glad bag category? It just seems like... Yeah, it's almost as if I don't want to see you to have to talk about that anymore. I want to talk about all these other things that are working. I know that the category can have growth. I know the other company came public. You in the conference call, you said, look, that's not neither here nor there because Pactive was also a competitor one time. But what do you have in that category to make it so that it's not a problem? Yeah, you know, first of all, we're taking every competitor seriously. Uh, We thrive in competitive categories and the GLAD category is no exception for sure. We want to reduce the amount of packaging materials and plastics and fibers in our products by 50% in the next 10 years. That means we have to significantly move the needle in all of our categories, and GLAD is one of them. We have been at this since 2004 when we first launched a stronger trash bag that also consumes about 15% 
less in um, uh, plastic. And that's really the sweet spot of what consumers want. They want products that are better for the environment, but also better for them and show real performance. So we're not new to uh, sustainability and GLAAD, but we have a number of ideas in this category as well. And you, will, you can expect to hear more from us over the next few years on sustainability-based initiatives on GLAAD. This is important. All right, look, that's what we're really looking for. We all hope that you invent something that is biodegradable. Maybe the, the big plastic companies could use your initiative. I want to thank you so much, Ben O'Dorris, the chairman and CEO of Clorox. Stock's been red hot. It deserves to be. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, should investors kick their spurs on this stock? Or after earnings, should you be giving it the boot? Cowboy up. Kramer sits down with Boot Barn when Mad Money returns. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. So we finally found some natural sellers in the stock of Tesla. The darn thing had to skyrocket to $969 to get there. But they came out of the woodwork yesterday afternoon and again today, and they crushed the stock yesterday's trading and then today. And you can see it was a real pounding, down 17%. This is simply what happens after the sellers let some air out of the balloon. Although the fact that Tesla's still up 75% for the year tells you there's plenty of helium left. Why do I think Tesla's eventually still got more upside even after the crazy action over the past week? First, you have to understand what happened to cause these moves. With a stock like this one, a good cheerleader can play a major role. The biggest cheerleader in Tesla is a money manager, and his name is Ron Barron. He owns 1.63 million shares. Oh, Ron's a very smart guy. He's been right as rain on this one. He's been right for ages. When informed speculators heard that he would be coming on Squawk Box, well, they knew he would tout Tesla. So they ran ahead of his appearance and bought the stock hand over fist the day before. On Tuesday morning, Tesla began to levitate before the open. That's brokers going to the open market to deliver stock to what we call the natural buyer, meaning a normal buyer who isn't trying to cover a short sale, someone who's trying to establish an actual position. Then Barron came on and predicted Tesla would have a trillion dollars in revenue out 10 years. He knew what that would do to the stock. He's not naive. You may laugh at that kind of projection, but you know what? That guy's he's got street cred. He, he, he's been right about Tesla every step of the way. And he, he said he's not selling any of his shares. If you didn't know Barron was going on squawk or you didn't realize he, uh, the stock had already rallied on his pending appearance the day before, then you actually might have bought it on his say-so. Sure, it seemed compelling. 
But those buyers, in retrospect, were very, very late. By the afternoon, though, after Barron's appearance, the flippers who bought Tesla on Monday were ready to ring the register. When they started blasting their bids, they knocked the stock off its $900 pedestal. They were selling real stock, not simply shorting it. So there was genuine heaviness that really spooked the market. Once it started coming down, the people who borrowed money to buy the hottest stock in the universe had no choice but to sell. They were borrowed. They were, le- they were levered. They only wanted Tesla because it was exploding hard, not because Musk is a genius, which he is, or because it's a technological marvel. And when it stopped going higher, well, they had to get out of Dodge. Sell, 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 sell. Which brings us to today. This cascade down was based on real sellers, too. Although I think you also had some shorts coming back into the fray. Once the stock broke, well, you know what? Why not get back in there and blast it out? Maybe make some bucks. Remember, when there's no, na- no supply of natural sellers, shorting a stock can actually send it higher because you need to find shares to borrow before you can bang them down. Once natural sellers resurface, though, it's safe to short again. So they do. The moment it peaked, I started hearing how Tesla's like Bitcoin uh, in, in that run up to nearly 20,000. Or it's like Tilray. Uh, during the short squeeze that took the cannabis stock from 109 to 300 in a couple of days. The implication, Tesla's swan dive has just, only been, yeah, just, just started. It's only just begun. Uh, well, I don't know. Of course, I think the stock could go lower. I mean, it's been such a great performer. But I think that those comparisons are ludicrous. Bitcoin was overwhelmed by multiple alternative currencies. Tilray was one of among many marijuana companies that came public around the same time, and it was shorted way too soon by many hedge fund managers, and there was no supply. More importantly, Bitcoin is a currency, and currencies are only worth what people think they're worth. Tilray's in a tough business. Cannabis just isn't as big as the bulls expected. But Tesla? Come on. Tesla happens to have a great business model. It is a good business. This is a unique technology company on wheels with incredible growth. Their product uses less energy and produces fewer carbon emissions in a world where consumers actually care about that stuff now. Tesla's not a chimera. It's the real deal. They have a long wait list for their cars, and they don't even need to advertise, for heaven's sake. The product sells itself. Tesla has too much demand and not enough supply, which is an incredibly high-quality problem. Look at it this way. Ford's doing so terribly, they had to close six plants in Europe because they're losing money. Meanwhile, Elon Musk built a new plant in Germany because his demand for his cars in Europe is off the charts. So understand, Tesla reversal today is something that inevitably happens to red-hot stocks that are too heavily shorted. But unlike so many other heavily shorted names, Tesla's too legit to quit. I don't know when it'll come back to $969 again. Maybe it'll take a while because a parabolic move that is broken can take a long time to heal. But when it gets back there, you know what? I bet it keeps climbing. Marilyn in Michigan. Marilyn. Yes. Marilyn, you're up. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Um, I watch your show quite often. Thank and you. my question is, Occidental Petroleum, I'm apprehensive about oil stocks in general now. I'm retired, and I right. want a high-yield stock with growth. Thank you. Well, okay, so Oxen, I mean, there's some, I'm looking, Jimmy Schultz looking at his Twitter feed, and everyone says, oh, my God, you know, just at the bottom, Kramer hates oil. I, I can't call these people morons anymore because I swore to my daughter that I would not do that stuff. But let me just say, I have not liked these stocks in a while, and I really disliked Oxy. I think Oxy can go higher because there's some momentum to the bounce because people think there's a lot of short covering. But I've got to tell you, uh, they gave a better deal to, um, to Warren Buffett on the dividend on his preferred, I would prefer you not to be an oxy. And if it goes to forty nine fifty, I would sell it. I'm not late to oil. Oh, shut up. I'm sorry. Jimmy Chill doesn't say that stuff. Bill in Illinois. Bill. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Yes. What's up? Hey, thanks for helping us out every night, Jim. Oh, sure. Hey, I've been following both Uber and Lyft since their IPOs. Usually they trade together. But recently it seems like Uber's bottomed out and making a run for it. While Lyft is having trouble gaining traction, with Lyft down around 4% today, 
Is it time to back up the truck? Well, you don't want to back up the truck on Lyft. Look, I was wrong on Lyft, and I got right on Lyft. I don't want to get wrong again. I think that Lyft is fine. I think that Uber, if they got out of Uber Eats, especially after I see that Grubhub number tonight, which was not that great, I think you'd really have a stock that goes right back to 45. So that's my favorite of the two. This is a tough job that I have, okay? And I am going to make mistakes. I made a mistake with Lyft. Maybe I came too late to Tesla. But I come out here every night and try to tell the truth. And if you got a problem with that, there's 560 other channels. I know. I've seen them all. Today's reversal in Tesla is something that happens to shorted stocks. But I still think this stock's the real deal. And I think over time, it'll heal and come back up. Much more mad money ahead, including my Susan with Boot Bomb, which got hammered today. Company's dropping at earnings, but is it a good time to say giddy up to a buying opportunity? Then wondering how to stay healthy during the coronavirus outbreak and the flu season? I'm talking to a company that's trying to change the way you visit the clinic and could make you money. Do not miss my sit-down with Teladoc, an order calls Rapid Fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. It was once in fashion, but after an earnings miss, has this stock been kicked back on its heels? The product is as tough as leather, but are home gamers better off flying over Boot Barn? While most of the market roars higher, i got to ask, what the heck happened to the stock of Boot Barn? Here's a longtime Kramer fave lifestyle brand that sells Western and work-related footwear and apparel. For years, Boot Barn was an oasis of positivity uh, within the hideous landscape, especially Raytail in 2019 alone. Stock was up 160%. In the first week of 2020, it kept climbing. But then it peaked right before the company pre-announced some really positive data. Then last night, Boot Barn reported its full-year results. And the Wall Street was not pleased uh, with the stock tumbling $4 or nearly 10%. So what went wrong here? Honestly, not much. Some may also point to pressure on the company's workwear business and some concerns about the weather. Plus, their guidance for the next quarter suggests that margins could be flat or even down slightly. My view, while the quarter has some issues doesn't justify the stock being down 20% in less than a month. But don't take it from me. Let's dig deep with Jim Conroy. He's the president and CEO of Boot Barn. Find out more about the quarter's company's future. Mr. Conroy, welcome back to Bad Money. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us on the show again. We appreciate it. Okay, so, Jim, uh, I got to give you a chance just to talk about the reaction here because, to me, it seems like an overreaction, although there were some issues that you called out on your own conference call that you think you can do better. Sure. Well, it's funny. It seems each time we have an earnings call, we have a negative reaction initially, and then typically the stock claws its way back. In this particular case, there's been a lot of focus on the deceleration in the work apparel business. And we've been really trying to focus the investor on, look, this is a testament to the model that we can have one of our bigger businesses declining and the other businesses, given the diversification of our product line, are so strong that we're still comping a plus five. So it's, we're trying to turn it into a positive, and we really believe it's, it really shows the strength of the model. Well, let's break that down. I, I have it that uh, when I, I calculate it, math is basically that 73% of the business uh, uh, ex-workwear comped up almost 10%. So if you can get workwear doing a little bit better, then you're going to get back to the numbers that we're used to. That's right. That's right. We saw a nice acceleration between the third quarter and the fourth quarter in most of the Western businesses. So boots and apparel, men's and women's. Uh, I think the 10 percent is a little bit too high, uh, given the math. But they accelerated nicely from Q3 to Q4. And there was a little bit of a drag from the work apparel business. And we do view that some of those things are transitory. I think that business will come back to us. I think it'll continue to be a little weak as we finish up our fourth quarter, the work apparel business. 
But I think once we get into our next fiscal year, fiscal 2021, uh, which starts in just a couple of months, we'll start to wrap some easier compares and that, that business will probably get a, a little bit better. All right, how about this new adjacency country? How's that doing? Well, it's kind of a, a new development in the overarching strategy to segment our consumer base and Really what underlies all of the strategy around that from a marketing perspective is how do we continue to bring more and more consumers into the Boot Barn brand? So we used to just be Western, then we were Western and work, then we added fashion. Now we're trying to sub-segment the Western business into Western and country. And that is a, a, the goal there is to get a customer that maybe doesn't wear a cowboy hat, but does wear a ball cap with a logo on it and boots and may not be riding a horse, but maybe going to a country music uh, concert. And if we can continue to con- bring more and more consumers into the brand, we'll deliver more transactions to the store and con- continue to deliver strong comps. Okay, so let's talk about uh, suppliers here. Forty uh, percent from China. Some of your. Uh uh, 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 of your wares. Uh, obviously, China is problematic for almost every company. What are you hearing from your suppliers over there and how confident are you that things are going to be OK? Well, we're pretty confident it will be OK in the in the medium term. Um, we've had the confluence of the coronavirus and Chinese New Year and the Chinese New Year holiday then got extended. So we will, like most co- uh, companies bringing in product from China, we'll see a little bit of a delay in shipments. We have a, a, a unique advantage in that given the fact that we turn our inventory slower than most traditional retailers, uh, roughly twice a year, a, a little bit of a delay in the inbound side of our supply chain shouldn't really impact the business. And I think um, as we get into uh, the month of February and March, I think that supply chain will catch up and we shouldn't really see any top line erosion. OK, Jim, I deal with a lot of the oil companies and frankly, uh, things are not good. Uh, Slummer's Day laying off a lot of people, Halliburton laying off a lot of people, a lot of them recognizing, you know what, you can j- drill and get as much oil with, with fewer people now. What does that mean for your uh, Texas business? Well, the Texas business is still nicely positive. There are pockets in Texas, maybe West Texas specifically, mm-hmm. that might see a slowdown. But different than what we saw a few years ago with Boot Barn is we've never really seen that business build all the way back to where it was at its peak when when oil was trading at $100 a barrel. So even if there's a little bit of a pullback and there's a little bit of a drag on our top line, I think we'll be able to compensate that for in other in other parts of the country and other parts of the assortment. Well, it does sound just my last minute here that it really is that uh, the down high single digit uh, workwear and that you sound confident that later this year that that will come back, which means the stock will come back. Correct. I, I believe so. I'll let the valuation take care of itself. Right. I think even even with that slight erosion, uh, you were, we're delivering some pretty strong numbers. And you could argue that the stock is still pretty cheaply valued if you look at our multiples and peg ratios, et cetera. But we're going to focus on getting the business and the top line uh, going even stronger in the in the top in the in the good right direction and building our margin and delivering profitability. And I think the stock price will take care of itself. Excellent. I agree with you, Jim Conway, president and CEO of Boot Barn, which has been a just a gigantic winner. Good to see you, sir. Likewise. Thank you very much. Mail Money's back after the break. It is time to start with the Labor Good Reverend. Who knows? 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 Who kn
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Remember, let's start with Carol in New York. Carol. Hi, Tim. Carol. Your thoughts on BLDR and its best sector is expected to perform well. It's in well the best sector. That's a sector that's home building. It's connected to them. Lower interest rates help. I like the stock. Mike in Florida. Mike. Hey, Jim, I need help on this after you mentioned it last month. It's Bill Holdings earnings this tomorrow. Help me out. No, we thought that was a good, we thought that was a, a good uh, back office infrastructure software play. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's barely down. I mean, it got hit today, but geez, I don't know. Is that a bit too high? Uh, let's go to Anthony in Michigan. Anthony. Booyah, Professor Kramer. It's good to talk to a professor that wants to make me money. Well, that's certainly my, so, my, my hope. What's going on? Tell me, um, we all know about the Oracle of Omaha, but a lot of people are complaining about the drag on his stock by the cash overload. So where do you think Berkshire I think he's a patient man. I think patience should be rewarded. I am a buyer, unmitigated buyer, of the stock of Berkshire Hathaway. Let's go to Doug in New York. Doug. Hey, how you doing? I am good, Doug. How about you? All right. I want to say... Thank you for everything, Doctor Jim. Doctor Professor, I'm I, I'm I wear I'm a man of many hats. What's going on? No, 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 Doctor Professor. Okay, I'll take that too. I have tenure. That, no, that's all I have to say. <laughs> I just want to know about Walgreens. Because- no, no, we can't go there. But look, you know, it is tough enough to own this darn CVS where people taking pot shots at that for buying Aetna and, you know, maybe the quarter's not that good. I, I don't want to go down the food chain to the Walgreens. Let's go to, I mean, I think Walgreens is a great place to shop, okay? How's that? Let's go to Mark in Montana. Mark. Hi, Jim Booyah from Bo- Sula, Montana. Oh, I love that. I've been there a couple times. It's beautiful. What's going on? Like the hills of, like the hills of Jersey. Hey, yeah. first, Jim, I want to say thanks to you and your team for all you do. Jim, I know you like Costco, and who doesn't, right? Love. They always carry the best brands, and one of my favorites is the premier protein line of drinks by Bell Ring Brands. The symbol is BRBR. Jim, what's your take on this firm? I'm getting my bell rung by Bell Ring. Don't know it myself, and I'm not going to go down the Funko path. <laughs> That's a little stock joke. We're going to stay away from Bell Ring until we find out more about it because I'm on the canvas. Let's go to Greg in Florida. Greg. Hey, Jim. Big Sunshine State. Booyah. Subject is Oracle. I'm interested Oracle's in whether fine. it's fine. It's not great. Or... It's not bad. Uh, that's the way I look at it. And I just, I don't have a reason to buy and I don't have a reason to sell. And that, that, I wish I had more to it. Let's go to Mike in Mississippi. Mike. Booyah and oorah, Jim. Nice. Thank you for serving, my friend. What's up? Elvis Presley, the most beautiful women in the world. Uh, First, Jim, must thank you for those of us that have directed our retirement account. Since 1981, you have helped us immensely. Thank you. My question is on Iridium, Jim, but before we go there, I would like to ask you and your listeners, keep keep, uh, Bernard Evers in their prayers. He, He will be buried Saturday. He was my old baseball coach in 1968. But my question is on Iridium, Jim. Um, yeah, wow. Um, I like Iridium very much. I've liked it since it was about eight bucks. Everyone gave up for it, not me. I like the story. I'm not done. I'm going to go to Andy, my old home state of Pennsylvania. Andy! 
How you doing? Thanks for taking the call. Of course, Andy. What's up? I wanted to get your opinion on Tyson Foods. Tyson Foods reports tomorrow. Here's what happens when Tyson reports. They always report the headline number's bad. The stock gets crushed. Stock goes down. It's been awful lately. Travel Trust owns it. We pull the trigger at 80, and that's how we're going to make some money in Tyson Foods. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Every time something's front and center, like a big epidemic that we're having is coronavirus. Well, I think it makes you realize that the future of healthcare belongs to telemedicine. I mean, I'm afraid to go to the doctor. I mean, why go? You're surrounded by sick people. When you can get yourself diagnosed by video conference, especially these days, when I got to tell you, I think we're all pretty paranoid. And that's the thesis behind Teladoc Health, which came public nearly five years ago, since become one of the hottest stocks in the sector. You know, since the IPO, this stock is up more than 460%, including nearly 70% gained last year, 28% moved for 2020. Their most recent results were terrific. They had a very upbeat presentation at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference last month. And we recently learned that Teladoc's buying InTouch Health, expanding their presence in the hospital telehealth market. We'll go over that. This thing's been on a roll. Can it maintain its momentum? Let's take a closer look with Jason Gorvik. He's the CEO of Teladoc. To learn more about where his company said, Mr. Gorvik, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Jason. Thanks, Have a Jim. Seat. Good to see you. Yeah, I got to tell you, I, t- I flew down to uh, Miami this week, and it was a question about whether for the Super Bowl. You know, I had the mask on for a few minutes, and I felt it was awkward because I didn't want people to say, oh, he's got a mask on. At the same time, all I really cared about was the person next to me not being sick. I don't want the person next to me at a waiting room not being sick, but it's pretty hard to avoid. Teledoc's the right thing right now. No, that's exactly right. We enable people to get care without going where everybody's afraid to go, which is the emergency room, the doctor's office, where you're likely to get infected with something if you don't already have it. Now, uh, speaking of that, you're in Shanghai. That's exactly right. Yeah, All right. About, so to about me, a quarter a, of our business is international. Well, well, to me, if I'm in Shanghai, I want to see a doctor. Everyone tells me you, it's impossible to even see a doctor. They've got three hospitals. Each have 500,000 patients. Is Shanghai, the, let's say, the next big thing? Well, so uh, our team in China is on top of the spread right. of the coronavirus. They're in touch with our team here in the U.S. and all around the world. And we're working with the CDC, the WHO. You are. To make so what's sure. the word, man? Well, because, you know, we're getting too many people who are too optimistic, I think. Well, I think the, the important thing is to understand what's true and what's not. Right. True, right. Right now in the U.S., it's a concern more than it's a reality. We want to make sure that our doctors are equipped with the right information and the screening tools to make sure they know what to look for and how to quell those fears that right now aren't materializing. And we're staying on top but of what's going to But if I'm on that, that Princess Cruise, would I call in? Could I call in? Well, sure. Yeah, we're available all around the world. We, have, we, we provided care last year in 125 Shouldn't countries. we all have a subscription just as a, something in our back pocket in case we think that it's the wrong, something's going on? Well, I think that's exactly right. And we're seeing more and more demand from employers, from health plans all around the world. We're working with our clients now to make our service available for their, for their people who are on the ground in China. Now, uh, Lisa Gill was talking about the year of the patient, and that means the year of Teladoc. I mean, this is the year where I think the patient is sometimes, let's say, every day once because they, read the, they watch the news. I mean, can you check in every day if you're a, a, a subscriber? 
Well, sure. And in fact, we have, uh, for example, mental health care services, which is an unlimited subscription where you have a relationship with a therapist and have access through chat, text, phone, video on an unlimited basis. And I saw the pricing for some of these features is dramatically lower than if you saw a person of similar quality individually. Well, that's right. And I think quality is the most important thing there, right? all vetted, making sure that it's the right quality medicine, all on a single platform so that we can standardize the delivery of care. And and then, as you say, it's just a more efficient way to deliver care. Now, uh, this flu season in itself, forget the corona, it's been terrible. Um, Are your doctors on top of that? How many more calls have you had? Is that a big, you know, so to speak, I know know you're a good guy, so you don't have to say, listen, we kill it in the flu season. (laughs) But obviously, this is something that motivates people to subscribe. Well, certainly. And there are examples of where state health departments have advised telemedicine so that you're not going into a doctor's office or an emergency room and infecting other people. But, you know, certainly our volume is up and uh, and this is a much more severe flu season than we had last year. Uh, And what used to be, you know, us doing high fives when we had a ten thousand dollar ten thousand visit day is now a normal Tuesday for us. Wow. Okay, so how about your deal with with Aetna? Because we had Larry on, Larry Merlot, and he's got these uh, clinics, so to speak, in the stores. Aren't they competing with you? Well, no, actually, we partner with Aetna uh, CVS. They're a large client of ours. Well, I think the vision that Larry has, which is a great one, is to turn those minute clinics into what he calls health hubs. Right. right? And health hubs are designed to take care of much more than the typical earaches uh, right. and skin rashes that somebody walked into a minute clinic for. And one of the visions is to be able to bring in specialists via virtual care on our platform into the health hub so that you can massively expand the scope of what can be delivered in the health hub. OK, so let's say we were um, turn back history. We had cell phones of, say, 5G cell phone in when I was born. Would, would my mom never have had, I mean, it seems like a doctor's place is the worst place to go. But we have been thinking when, our, when I was growing up, you know what, it's only for emergency purposes. Everything else should be telemedicine. Well, what used to happen, right? What used to happen is the house call where the doctor came to well, you. I was, yeah, that used to right? be when I was a little boy. So that was the house call. The house call avoided that situation. What we've done is we've delivered the house call. We've just done it virtually. You put the house technology. call back. That's right. You know, it's funny. That's how I have to look at it. Because I was old enough to remember when the doctor would come. I think the vast majority of our people, or our viewers, didn't know they even did that. This is a better way to get medicine because of how many illnesses are transmitted in, in rooms. That's right. Exactly. Delivering care for the consumer on their terms in their home so that they don't have to go out into some other. Well, I, I, so I didn't even get to in touch. That's my bad. But because of what you said about Shanghai, I just had to I mean because you're the antidote there, too. I wish they had you in Wuhan. Well, well we wish that we were more prevalent there uh, so that we could make a bigger impact. Wow. Yeah, you're doing a great, great job. Okay, that's Jason Gorovic, CEO of Teladoc. You first heard this maybe when we had Lisa Gill on, who's our expert from J.P. Morgan. Now you see why I like this story so much. Stick with Kramer. Every night, my wife and I just do nothing but talk about the coronavirus, and we watch the special every night because it's pretty much I wish it wasn't so dominant my house. Don't go uh, anywhere. Because tonight, it's my friend Will Frost. 
in the special CNBC report on the coronavirus. He has all the latest info, and you know it's a very fluid and dynamic situation, okay? I heard, heard Boot Barn. I kind of like what he said. What Ben Ardour said about Clorox and the fact that it's not even in the numbers yet, what Clorox is going to do, and I use Clorox everywhere since this virus came out, I would go with that one. I like to say this always, more market summer. I promise I'll find just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The CNBC special report begins now. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.